Good morning once again. Thanks to all those who've been singing. Sound great this morning. And the welcome in the communion. And Jonathan for leading some songs. And I told Alberto, I think there's a, a competition to see who, who gets the spot. So we'll have a, a contest pretty soon. Also, it was great to see Iris get baptized last week. Where is she? There she is. She got baptized. The Spirit of God is moving in the said family. So that was very exciting. It's been a great week, month uh, for you guys. And last, last Sunday, the kids' ministry performed. That was great. Just a big thanks to all the kids' ministry workers because they really pour their hearts out. If you have a Bible, or in Acts chapter 11 this morning, continuing, continuing our study there. And in life, you, you may be aware, maybe you aren't, but there are moments where your mind can potentially be expanded or illuminated or even blown for some, some sense. I remember becoming a parent was very mind expanding for me, as I'm sure if you're a parent, you know that. For spiritually, as I've started to really study the Bible in a, in a more serious way throughout my life, and even recently, just trying to understand the unseen realm, and the heavenly realm, and the divine counsel, really just my mind is being expanded from, from God's Word. And, and on a lesser scale, you may know that sometimes when you hear music, it, your mind has the potential of being expanded. For instance, Morpheus in The Matrix said, what if I told you the alphabet song is really Twinkle Twinkle Little Star? That could blow your mind. If you didn't know that, if, if you just sing the same tune... Twinkle, twinkle, little star, E, F, G, H, R, J, K. <laughs> Don't even know the alphabet. But you think about it, what are you, those two tunes are the same song. But uh, the reality, it, it, so there's these moments in life that, that your mind or God is trying to really expand or illuminate or broaden your perspective if you allow him. That's, that's what's going on in Acts chapter 11 here because there's a big moment in, in the church where the Gentiles start accepting the gospel, they, they receive the Holy Spirit, and there's a shift in the spreading of the gospel from Jews to Gentiles. And it's a really big deal. When we read this, it's just simply a conversion. But in the Jewish mindset, and, and to the audience here, it was mind-blowing that God would grant the Gentiles repentance. Let's read chapter 11 and talk about two points this morning from this passage. Before we do so, let's pray together. Father, we're grateful we can stand before you and read your holy word. I pray that as we read it, your spirit really does open our minds and does open our hearts and call us to follow your son more closely. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's read all of Acts chapter 11 and talk about two things this morning. In verse 1 of chapter 11, the apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also received, sorry, Acts chapter 10. That's already happened. Acts chapter 10 verse 1 is, At Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion, in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered. 
Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier, who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. You may remember in the Gospels, there's also a centurion who solicits Jesus and doesn't even require Jesus to come into his house. Because he's so faithful to this, this, this centurion will say, I want Peter to come into my house and hear the gospel. In verse 9, we get the other side of the story. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four quarters. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied, I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. No matter how you figure out these ceremonial laws, I just don't imagine reptiles being that appetizing. And then in verse 15, the voice spoke to him a second time, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. Peter gets a lot of these three-time encounters, if, if you'll recall. In verse 17, while Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. Get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, we have come from Cornelius the centurion. He was a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that we could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guest, even though it isn't his house. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them, and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up, stand up, he said, I am only a man myself. In verse 27, while talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But here I am associating with you and visiting with you. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, three days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. Suddenly, a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the house of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good for you to come. Now, we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Remember, Peter has no idea whatsoever why he's being called and what's going on. And now he's being put on the spot. 
So in verse 34, then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have, just as we the apostles have in Acts chapter 2 when the Spirit came on us. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. And we'll end there. We know this is such a big deal, a big shift in the book of Acts for a few reasons. First of all, it keeps on going. Acts chapter 11 verse 1 through 18 is Peter retelling the story again. It's the long longest narrative we have in the book of Acts. And it's told from Cornelius's point of view. It's told from Peter's point of view. And then once more in chapter 11, verse 1 through 18, Peter retells the whole story once more. So this is for emphasis. This is for a point. This is a big deal. This is a big mind shift, not just for Peter, but all of the Jews. I mean, they're astonished that the Gentiles are getting the Holy Spirit. And so let's look at two points from this passage that God wanted to explain and illuminate to Peter the Jewish mindset and also for us today. Point number one is that God wants to grant repentance. He's always wanting to grant people Repentance. In this chapter of 10, Cornelius is a righteous man, right? You, you, you get the first few verses and you get the impression, even though he's not Christian, the Bible describes him as devout, God-fearing, he gives generously, he prays, and so you get the impression he's a good guy. Even still, when Peter goes back to Jerusalem and says, hey, the Gentiles are becoming Christian, he's criticized, they say, what are you doing associating and being in Gentiles' houses? And then he says, hey, look, I, I was there. I saw the Spirit come. I preached and I witnessed this with my own eyes. I saw God grant them repentance that leads to life. That's Acts chapter 11 and about verse 17 or 18. Peter says, God granted them repentance that leads to life. And right after he says that, there's no further objections. 
all the Jews are silenced and it says, oh, amen, let's praise God. And, and so this, this shift of mind had occurred. And, and it's, it's, it's interesting that Cornelius is such a devout and God-fearing guy, but he still needs to be granted repentance. He still needs repentance. He still needs the Holy Spirit. He still needs forgiveness to be saved. Just because he feared God and he was devout didn't mean he was Christian yet. It didn't mean that. His life is exemplary if you look at it. In verse 2, it says he and his family were devout and God-fearing. So he's a, he's a family man. He's a father who's influential to his family. His devoutness extends to his family because they're described in the same way. So they respect him. It says that he gives generously to those in need and he prays regularly. Plus in verse 24, when Peter comes, who's there? Everybody. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell down in reverence. But he said, stand up. Or in verse 24, there was, there was, he had called his relatives and his friends. Hey, there's a message from God. I want, to, I want all my friends and all my relatives to be present when this message comes. So you get the picture. He, he's, he's a good guy. He's admirable. But he's not yet fully included in God's covenant. And there's a temptation just to look at his life and think, surely, surely this guy is included in God's covenant. Look at his life. He's perhaps more righteous than some of the disciples. And, and some people argue, use this argument today, but look at that person's life. Surely they must be godly. And maybe so, but they still need repentance if they haven't repented. And it's almost as, as if you think, well, you have to have an immoral or, ungod or ungodly lifestyle so that you can drastically repent. But this guy has a really admirable lifestyle. And he still gets granted Repentance. So even those who have a fearing of God, who are devout and sincere, still need to repent. And God is always willing to grant this repentance. Even for someone like Cornelius, who's God-fearing, he still needs to reorient his mind. And God sets it up. I mean, throughout the book of Acts, it's God orchestrating all of these encounters. But God sets it up. He says, here's a guy who's sincere and serious, I'm going to grant him repentance because he's looking for it. If you think about the life of Jesus, it's a very similar concept as he walks the earth, right? He speaks in parables. He walks around and he throws out a parable here and he throws out a parable there. And for the most part, people just hear it and keep going. But for those that are really interested, for those that really want to know more, they come back to Jesus and they say, hey, what did you really mean? When you said this parable. And as a result, Jesus grants them understanding. It's not like they unlock the understanding themselves. Jesus says, well, since you asked, I'm going to grant you some more understanding. It's similar with repentance. It's not like we do the hard work. We just humble ourselves before God and God grants repentance. This word give, and if you look at Acts chapter 11... When Peter recounts this in verse 18, when they heard this, he had no further objections and they praised God saying, so that even to the Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. 
That word granted, is, it could be more literally translated given. It's the same word when Jesus is having the Last Supper with the disciples. And he'll say, in Acts chapter 11, it says that God has given repentance that leads to life. In Luke chapter 22, Jesus is, is breaking bread and the wine with the disciples and saying, this is my body given for you. The same word that's translated in Acts chapter 11, verse 18. Do this in remembrance of me. They didn't do anything, the disciples, in this instance. He gives them the bread. He gives them his body. And in the same way, God gives repentance. And so often I think there's, there's this understanding that I just got to try harder. I just got to do more. I just got to really, really try harder. But the truth is that God grants this repentance to those who are willing. And if you're not experiencing this shift in the mind, it's only because... You're refusing it. Because God grants it to those who really want it. And you have to imagine the opposite side of the coin. If Cornelius would have been resistant in this case, he could have put up an argument and said, you know what? Look at my life. All my family's here. I surely love God. I've invited all my friends and all my relatives and all, all my close neighbors. I've given generously. I pray often. Why do I need to repent? That could have been his argument. But God said, I'm going to grant him repentance because he's looking for it. And that's for anybody. For anybody that wants their mind shifted. For anybody that wants their mind changed. God is willing to grant repentance. But only to those who really want it. Secondly and lastly, God is in the business of opening minds. God shifts Peter's and the Jews that are with him. By converting the Gentiles. And you've got to realize they had a long-held belief about Gentiles, okay? And, and so, Pete, not just Peter, but the entire Jewish mindset. And, and we don't have to get very technical, but just to oversimplify it, the Jews had laws about food, that you couldn't eat stuff that was unclean. And Gentiles ate stuff that was unclean. So that meant... If you're eating something unclean, I can't eat with you. And then they started to extend that to say, well, since I can't eat with you, I can't even associate with you. And so this long, deep division existed between Jews and Gentiles. Peter even says that when he comes into the house. You, know, you guys know I shouldn't be here. You're well aware that we don't get along. We don't associate. We, we don't eat together. We don't visit together. We don't connect you guys are well aware of this. And, and so God wanted to shift. The, Peter thought this way. And that's why God wanted to open his mind and, and has this vision. And Peter's, he's thinking about it, right? That's, that's, what the, that's what the Bible says in verse 17. After he has this interesting vision in verse 17, it says, Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision. The ESV will translate it. He's perplexed. I mean, imagine you're about to have lunch and then you have this weird vision of a sheet coming down and all kinds of food and it says, eat it, eat it. You're like, no, I've never eaten it. And then it goes away and Peter's like, what in the world does this mean? What am I supposed to do with this information? And he has no idea what to do with it. And then in verse 19, after he's had the vision, Peter was still thinking about the vision. And this is a word that means he's, he's revolving the ideas around in his mind. He's, he's got this vision now, doesn't know what to do with it, but he's like passionately thinking about it. What does this mean? What's going on? This is a great word because it's the same word used in Matthew chapter 1 verse 20. 
If you remember, Joseph is pledged to be married to Mary, finds out his wife is with child. So he considers, it's the same word there. He's, he's really thinking this over. Let me think about divorcing my, my future wife because she's with child and that, that should, shouldn't be the case. So he's contemplating this. And then at that same moment, an angel appears to him and says, no, don't do it. It's from the Holy Spirit. His mind is changed and he takes Mary as his wife. Here in this instance, God's about to usher something brand new to the movement of God. And he ushers in this vision to Peter. Peter's thinking about it. He's thinking, I, I wouldn't normally associate with a Gentile. And now they're knocking at his door. And he's, he's had this mind shift. He's had this change. He says, hey, I, I, I realize that I can go with you now. And that I can tell you about the gospel. And this is a good example of what God does. He's in the business of doing. I think we all have a certain mindset about God. I think we all have a certain mentality and then therefore we have a set of actions that are mapped out. Peter, I can't associate with Jews, so if someone knocks on my door, I won't go with them. Joseph, obviously this wedding isn't going to be the way it's supposed to be, so I'm going to divorce her. That's what they're thinking. But God shifts their mind. He shifts the way they think. That's what's happening to Peter and everybody with him. In verse 45, everybody's astonished. This is, this is not... The way we thought it would go down. The Gentiles are getting the Holy Spirit. It was a radical shift. and It was so radical that that in a few chapters, in Acts chapter 15, they have a big council about it. Because now they're like, okay, the Gentiles are part of the church now. So what does this mean? Do they need to be circumcised? Do they need to eat the same food? How is this going to work? It was such a big deal, and I don't know if we can appreciate it unless we really allow God to open our own minds. And then later in the book of Galatians, Paul will deal with this same issue. Jews and Gentiles in the same same church. Well, how is this going to work? It was such a big deal. And that's why God kind of did it slowly with this vision for Peter, and then he he sends him over to the house. He doesn't even tell him whose house he's going to or what he's supposed to do. He just says, go and don't hesitate. Now, what what I like... To, to imagine is, you know, Peter, when he follows Jesus, he's probably not the brightest tool in the shed, right? And you get, you get this kind of impression, nor are the disciples for that matter. In fact, if, if you remember when Jesus fed a, fi- a group of 5,000 people, and, in, in, and then a few chapters later, he's going to fe- there's 4,000 people there. So here's the scene. He's fed 5,000 and they've witnessed it and they've taken up all the bread and all the fish. And then 4,000 people gather and they're like, what are we going to do? And it's it's, it's like literally two chapters after he's fed 5,000. And they're like, we have no idea what to do. We have no idea what's going on. We don't know what, what to do. Like, really? But now Peter has this vision. And it's kind of a weird vision, right? There's animals and stuff on a sheet. And now his mind, he says like, I got it. Nothing is impure or unclean. And that's just about food. And then he gets it and he's like, it's people. It's about people. Yeah. It's about people. And then he goes to the Gentile house. like, how, how is this guy who saw Jesus feed 5,000 people and then was perplexed at how he could feed 4,000, all of a sudden like, ah, You know, it's because God is in the business of opening our minds. And and then he 
day and he starts applying it. He goes to these people's house. And, and this, this, for non-Christians, for people that grow up in church, I guarantee you have a boxed-in, limited view of what God is. I guarantee it. You may think, I come to church at 1010. We have two songs of welcome, two songs of communion, two songs of lesson, announcements. It's like rhythmic. And you think that's God. It's not God. God wants to open your mind to understand that it's so much bigger than a church service, a church building, an invitation. It's way bigger than that. But, but we're so limited in our thinking, but God is, is slowly, subtly, and patiently trying to open your mind. The promise to Abraham that the Gentiles would get this was given 2,000 years earlier. So God was very, very patient in allowing their mind to be expanded. But if you allow him, if you grow up in church and you allow him, God will blow your mind. It's only if you're willing. And as a Christian, it's, it's what Paul prays for in, in the book of Ephesians. He says, I pray that God may enlighten your mind, that he opens your mind, that he blows your mind on who you are. And, and how does that become practical? Because I think, and it doesn't mean that you just become so open-minded that your brain leaks out and you think, oh, everything is okay and everything's good and I tolerate everything. That's not what that means, okay? But what it does mean is that when, when, when you look at a passage in the Bible, don't gloss over it. Yeah. Because there's something hidden. There's something mind-blowing. Waiting for you. And I think too often, personally for me, I'm, I'm too lazy to really dig into it. To see, what, what is God trying to expand my mind on? Or if I find a passage too strange, if you've ever read 1 Peter chapter 3, where Jesus goes to the spirits in prison and preaches, okay, that's strange, I'm going to skip over to that and go to something more nice and easy to understand. But I'm missing out on an opportunity for God to expand my mind. I, I imagine the same is with you because there's all these kind of passages in the Bible that if you think about them, it's like, what does that mean? Why is nobody alarmed that a serpent is talking in the garden? What, what does that mean? What does this mean when God has this counsel in the book of Job and all these different messengers are coming and the Satan comes and says, I want to test Job. And God says, okay, sounds good. What does that mean? What does it mean in 1 Kings 22 when, when God says, I declare that Ahab is going to die. Now let's have a council about how he's going to die and who's going to do it. And a spirit says, I'll do it. And God says, okay, fair enough. What does that mean? Yeah. Right? And if I just say, that's too difficult, that's too thorny, that's too complex, that's too strange. I got a limited view. I just want to go to church at 1010 and two songs and a welcome, two songs. My mind will stay closed. And your mind will stay closed too. God wants to blow your mind. And when you read your Bible and you come across something you don't know, you don't understand, you think it's strange, it's a window into something mind-blowing. And God wants to expand your mind. He wants to illuminate your mind. He wants all of us to be like that, about how church is, about how ministry is, about how you are, about how God is. He wants to blow your mind. But the thing is, when your thinking shifts, it's not always easy to put into practice. See, their mind gets blown here, and Gentiles are becoming Christians, but then four chapters later, they're like, uh, we need to talk about this. How is this going to work? Right? So just because your mind gets illuminated, but then, then when you try to practice it, oh, that, that's when it becomes difficult. 
And you still have to obey the scriptures, even when you don't understand how to fully practice it. But do, do we circumcise the Gentiles? Do we eat with them now? Do we not eat with them? How is it going to work? Mind blown, but still difficult to practice. And that's the way it is in Christianity. You may get an insight. You may understand, oh man, I'm supposed to love everybody. I got it. And then you run into somebody that's hard to love. Yeah. And, oh, it's a bit difficult. Or whatever it is, but God always wants to expand our minds on who he is. Now imagine Peter being resistant in this case as well. I, sorry God, you know the law. You know the deal, we can't associate with these guys. He would have missed out on this opportunity to see God move in an entirely new direction. He would have missed the moment. And we can't be resistant to when God wants to open our minds. Imagine if God started expanding your mind on who he is, how much more compassionate we would be with people. If you really allowed God to start blowing your mind on who he was, imagine when in our relationships when we have these deep-seated opinions, how easy or easier it would be to get along with each other because God is constantly expanding all of our minds. Our relationships would be much more thick because of that reason. Often in, in, in relationships, one of us holds a dominant view and the other's not willing to give. And, but somebody's not willing to have their mind opened by God. And that, that's what's going on here. Peter says, I, I, I'm willing. Twice in the passage, it says, without hesitation. God says, go without hesitation. And when Peter recounts it, he says, I went without hesitation. And I think there, there's the tension. When God's trying to open my mind, there's hesitance. When he's trying to open your mind, there's always this tense hesitance. And uh, I don't know, I've, I've always believed this. I've always done things this way. This is through tradition. This is how I've grown up. God says, without hesitance, I don't care how long you've had that view. Go with the Gentiles. God's always trying to open our minds and broaden our perspectives. Do you allow him? The reality is God wants everybody to repent. That's what the scriptures say. It's not just people trying harder, but God, God, it says that he doesn't want anybody to perish, but everybody to come to repentance. So in the heart of God, he looks at humanity and he desires to grant repentance. He doesn't desire people to work harder. He desires to grant repentance, just like Cornelius, whether he's good or whether he's bad. God wants people to repent. He doesn't want people to be blinded. And he also wants to keep expanding your mind and my mind. And I, and, and I believe this genuinely. For the next couple of midweeks, I'm going to look at some of the hard passages that I think have really started to open my mind on God's being and who he is. And, and I want us all to really embrace this together because God wants to continuously open and expand our minds about him, about Jesus, about everything. If we allow him. And the more we understand it, the more we can communicate this gospel message to a lost world. And then we can see when other people's eyes open and when other people repent, we can be just like the Jews in this passage who say, hey, let's, let's just rejoice because God is granting them repentance as well. Let's be encouraged that God wants everyone to repent and he wants to open our minds. Let's allow him without hesitance. Amen.